invite you to join me in the scripture this morning in the book of Joshua. I want to read verses 6 through 9 of the first chapter. The book of Joshua is the sixth book in the Bible, and it is that transition from Moses to Joshua as the leader of the people of God. Verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do, all, to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The book of Joshua is a picture of the life of victory. You understand, you remember of course, that the New Testament gives us the principles of the Christian life. And the Old Testament gives us the pictures of the Christian life. And perhaps as no other book in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua gives us in picture form how the people of God go into victory. Some of you this morning are living in victory. You know the life of, of victory. Some of you are living in the memory of it. And you, like Moses, still wear the veil even though the glory of the Lord has departed. And there is nothing any more frustrating than to come to the Bible and see what we were all meant to be and discover there that we are not. I want you to see this morning some background. Moses is dead and Joshua is now the leader of God's people and he is leading them from the wilderness into the land of Canaan. It is a picture of one going from the um, carnal and defeated life into the life of abundance and victory. For you understand that in the Old Testament Canaan never represents heaven. Only in hymns, in songs, is Canaan really pictured as heaven. It's never that way in the Old Testament. But the author of the book of Hebrews reminds us that really Canaan in the Old Testament represents the fulfillment of the promises of God when He saved us and the abundant life and the life of victory. So that in the Old Testament, God's people lived in three stages. There is the, the Red Sea stage and the Jordan River stage, and in between is the wilderness wanderings. Now, just about everybody here, I'm, I'm sure, has passed through the Red Sea. That is, you've been saved. But most of us have never crossed the Jordan to the life of victory and abundance and freedom. 
And we have never really in this life experienced the fullness of God's promises. We don't know what it means to live in victory. Well, that's what this sermon's about. It has three points, so you can count them and kind of figure out how much time is left. Point one. The life of victory is the goal of the Christian life. It is the goal of the Christian life. When Moses stood to address his people in the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, he said, God led us out. He's talking about Egyptian bondage. God led us out that he might lead us in and give us the land that he promised our fathers. The purpose of his leading them out of bondage was to lead them in to the land of blessing and freedom and victory. The victorious life is not a kind of an aside that you know, some people could live, like you know, Miss Staten or some uh, stained glass window. It's not, the life of victory is not a part of the truth. It is the truth. And I love what the Apostle Paul said when he said, Thanks be to God who always causes us, who always causes us to triumph. Now is that a fair estimate of your life? That you always live in victory. Now I ask you this morning, do you live in the land of defeat? Or do you live in the land of victory and abundance and fullness? If God can give victory for one second, it is possible for the man of God to live his life in continuous victory. Now I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm not saying that a person can somehow reach a plateau where he is above sin and never sins. But I am absolutely convinced that it is the goal of every saved person. It is the object, the purpose for every believer that he lives such a life that when he sins, he's aware of it. And he acknowledges and he repents from it. And he lives in continuous victory. Sometimes we make some discoveries. I, I made one recently, a verse of Scripture. I, I, I knew this verse. I've known this all my life, this, this verse. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I, I've known that. And the way I've interpreted that verse is like this, that somehow there is a kind of quality or quantity of faith that enables us to be victorious, to live a life of victory. But I haven't, I haven't reached that yet. I'm getting there, but I haven't arrived yet. And it's kind of, it kind of excused me for my life of failure and defeat. My life of fruitlessness and, 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 and frustration and emptiness. I did all right till I read the next verse. You know, that's the problem. Sometimes we quit before the next. I was doing great till I read the next verse. It says, And who is the one that overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. You know what that says? It says that everybody who has faith to be saved has the faith to live in victory. Now what are the implications of the victorious life? I mean, what does it mean to live a life of victory? I think it means three things. 
I think it means that for the first time you experience for yourself the reality of His promises. The promises of God become really real to you. I mean stuff like this. Jesus said, He that believes in me, let him ask what he wills and I'll do it for him. Promises like this. He that believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do, and greater works than these, that the Father may be glorified. You know what he's saying? He's saying if you believe in Jesus, you can equal and exceed the works of Jesus. And I know that promise, but I didn't know, and I've said, yes, we can believe that, but I, I didn't really know that promise as a reality in my own life. And I read the Bible like most of you read it, like, it, like it's a wish book, you know. I grew up in the country and two of the most exciting days of the year were when we got the Sears and Roebuck catalog. You can see what an exciting life I live. <laughs> we, we get this Sears and Roebuck catalog. Some of you cannot even relate to that. You don't even know what one is probably. But if you can imagine what I'm talking about is a stroll through the mall. You know? So I'd take the Sears and Roebuck catalog and I'd take a stroll through that and wish for things. It was called a wish book. One day I discovered a uh, Red Ryder air rifle. It had one of those handles that you pump, you know, and you can put BBs in the barrel. You could hold a lot of them. You didn't have to spit them in there, you know, one shot at a time. I wanted one of those air rifles so bad I could taste it. It cost $12.95. I didn't have 12 cents. Mother said, maybe you'll get one for Christmas. That was six months away. I mean, all the birds would be gone by then. <laughs> I'd take, the, I'd take this Sears and Roebuck catalog and wish for that, long for it. So bad I wanted that, so bad I could taste it. Some of you have come to this Word and have wished that what you find there could be yours. But that seems so impossible and so remote. To the man who lives in victory, he finds these promises, claims them, and they are as though they were made directly to him. It means secondly that you experience not just the promises of God, but the presence of God. And this is what he said in the conclusion of this text, and the Lord thy God will be with you wherever you go. He seems so remote, doesn't he? So far away. I mean, when we're in the best moments of our life, He seems so way off, so far away. And we pray towards Him, and we pray to Him. And I can remember reading a sermon by R.W. Dale, the great preacher of Birmingham, England. A sermon he prepared for Easter Sunday of the night before he was in his study going over this sermon and he was praying and all of a sudden it dawned on him that the living Lord was really present. And R.W. Dale said, He was so real to me. He was more real to me than the chair on this platform the next day when he preached that. And I remember reading that and thinking to myself, He's never been that real to me. For the man who lives in defeat, God is way out there somewhere. The man who lives in victory experiences His presence as close as His breath. It means thirdly that he lives in the power of God. In the power of God. Now are you living in the power of God? In the energy that raised Jesus from the dead? I love it. When they came back, the spies did, and ten of them told, oh, we can't go into the land because those 
Canaanites are like giants and we're like grasshoppers. I love it when the two, Joshua and Caleb, said, yes, they're like giants, but God has given them to us as bread. Now in the Tidwell translation, he said, we can eat those guys for lunch. God has spread a banquet for us. They were living in power. Seeing these football guys here in front of me remind me of a football story. True story. Whether it happened or not, it happened. I used to live in Iowa Park in the late 60s. They were the scourge of, of, the, of class AA football in Texas. They won the state championship and played for the state championship twice while I was living there. The year that I moved there, they had a guy playing quarterback by the name of Bill Dawson. He was an outstanding young man. His father was the principal. He went on to Baylor University playing quarterback, just the leader. That year, they were number one in the state, Iowa Park, and they, they, number two was Quana, Texas, who was in the same district. And so the next to the last game, they played Quana, number one and two teams playing in the district. And, and you can imagine the, 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 excite, the, the, the energy generated by that hoopla of that game. It's like Super Bowl. You couldn't find a place to stand to see that game. And, and, and Quana was ahead 12 to 7. And they had the ball first and goal on the four-yard line. And they ran four plays. They ran three plays and they got it to the one-foot line. It was two minutes left to play. And they, they didn't kick a field goal. They went for it. For after all, they can get a foot. And if they don't, there's less than two minutes. And Iowa Park has the ball on the goal line with 100 yards to go. And they stopped him. If you go to Quana, Texas today and ask anybody on the street, were you at that game? The first thing he'll say was, we were robbed. They, they're absolutely convinced the guy made it into the end zone. He was stopped on the goal line. And Iowa Park huddled up and Bill Dawson came in, knelt in the huddle and this is what he said, guys we got them right where we want them. 99 yards, 2 feet and 11 inches from the goal line. We got them right where we want them. And they did a little two minute kind of drill, true story, they ran about three little sideline passes and got it out to the 40 yard line. And it was less than a minute, they had a guy named Harry Price, most exciting high school football player I've watched big, tight end. He was the kind of guy that when the quarterback went back and you could see it was going to be a pass to Harry, everybody just automatically come to their feet. Something exciting was about to happen. On this play at the 40-yard line, they threw a 60-yard bomb to Harry Price and won the game 14-12. to 12. We got them right where we want them, you see. We don't have to live in defeat. I, I, read, I read the newspaper just like you do. I watch television just like you do. And I pastor a congregation, a church roll of people who are absolutely convinced that they can't win. Who are absolutely convinced that failure is the norm of the Christian life. Who are absolutely certain that they cannot survive long in victory. I am here to tell you that the, the man who lives in victory lives in supernatural power. We got them right where we want them. The goal of the Christian life is victory. Secondly, 
The life of victory is the gift to the Christian. A gift to the Christian. You can't read Joshua 1 without saying this term, this phrase, I give you, I give you. Verse 3 says, this land that I have given you. Now I want you to hear this. This victorious life is not something that can be coached. It can be coached. A guy was in my office not long ago. He was talking about what he calls the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He said he'd been to a service out in the western part of the United States and the pastor was coaching him on how to get a certain gift and how to use it. The goal, the Christian life, the life of victory cannot be coached. It can't be achieved. It is a victory that has already been accomplished, made available for man to receive. And there is a big difference between wishing that we had something from Jesus and knowing that we have already everything in Jesus. And the man who lives the life of victory is the man who understands that he already has in Jesus victory. Now that has two implications. I want to brush one and talk just a little bit about the second. It means that first of all that victory is assured. You don't have to wait until the 10 o'clock news or the sports news to see who won. The victory is assured. You have victory if you've been saved. Secondly, it means that the victory has already been accomplished. And if you're not living, and I'm not living in victory, continuous victory, it's because we have not cashed in on the victory that's already been accomplished. Reminds me of the old man that, that died in poverty, and he was a millionaire, just didn't know it. He'd inherited millions. He didn't know it. And so he lived in some shanty, and he died in absolute poverty, and there were these millions of dollars in some bank account waiting for him. He just didn't know it. By the way, if you find out that I'm dying, I've got about a month to live, and I'm a millionaire, don't tell me. <laughs> just don't tell me. So let me go ahead and die not knowing it. Because I don't think it could be anything any more sad than to have a million dollars and live in poverty. Can you think of anything sadder than that? I can think of only one thing sadder than that. And that is to have as your resource in Christ Jesus continuous victory and live and die in defeat. That's worse. As a matter of fact, that's what chapter 2 is about. We're going to get there one of these Sundays. For when they sent the spies into the land, Rahab a harlot was hiding them. God uses everybody, you see. And this, Ray, this, this harlot Rahab told them a remarkable thing. Now watch this. She said, when we saw the spies come into the land, we trembled, we quaked, because we knew that God was with you. As a matter, you see what happened? The enemy knew they were defeated. They, the enemy was defeated before Israel knew that they had won. Can you believe that? Forty years before, Israel knew she won the battle. Jericho knew she had lost. So forty years, Jericho lived in fear because she knew that she has lost. 
while Israel lived 40 years in failure because she didn't know that she had won. If I could tell you one thing to remember, it is this. The victory has already been accomplished. All you've got to do is cash in on it. Point three. The life of victory must be gained by the Christian. Now, I know what you're thinking immediately. You're saying, now, wait a minute. Isn't that a contradiction? If God gives victory as a gift, why do we have to gain it? And it does seem to contradict. And I've noticed that whenever there is, you know, whenever God seems to contradict Himself in Scripture, He doesn't explain it. He just, it's a paradox. And I don't understand it, but I know this, that all through this book God says, I've, I've given you the land as a, as a gift. Now all you've got to do is possess it, possess your possessions, and wherever your foot touches, that's yours my gift to you is, is fullness, is victory, but you've got to appropriate that. It's what Jesus meant when He said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and you shall find rest. What Jesus was saying is this seems like a contradiction. I'll give you rest, but you've got to take the yoke and find it. His gift is God's part. Our appropriation is our part. Now how do we gain victory? If I wanted to live a victorious life, I'd get these three points and not miss them. How do we gain victory? Number one, we gain it by faith. We gain it by believing and confirming and affirming and acknowledging that God has already accomplished victory. And I believe that. I trust that. I believe it by faith. Herein is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Now watch this. You see, it's not some businessman saying in the morning, Oh, I hope today that I can, I can live a Christian life. I hope that I can, I can overcome temptation, resist temptation. I hope I can, when I meet those barriers out there today, I hope I can overcome them. It's not that. It's not young people saying, I made a decision in FCA camp or Falls Creek. I hope I can hold out. I hope when the temptations and the peer pressures come, I hope I can survive. I hope I can just make it through this semester. It's not that. It's getting up in the morning and rejoicing in this faith and confidence and saying, Lord, I just thank you that I know that I'll not encounter anything today that has not been overcome in Jesus Christ. Now I want you to get this principle for now and forever. You do not go towards the life of victory. You go from it. I need to say that again. You do not go toward victory. You go from it. And by faith you claim the victory that God has accomplished in Christ Jesus. And you move into life from the assurance of that. You win victory by faith. You win it by following. And so he said, all that is written in this book of law you shall do. You shall do. It's interesting that that word in Hebrew, the Torah, means direction. Direction. So that this is not rules to keep, it's a direction to follow. 
And no one can live the victorious life unless he follows the direction of this Torah, this book, this law. It becomes the compass of his life. It becomes the road map that guides him. Nobody can win, the vic win victory apart from the direction of this book. And he wins it by fighting. By fighting. And so he says in verse 12, I want you to get the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. We're going to Jericho. And you understand that these were the warring tribes, the warriors. There's going to be a fight there. It's a struggle. Have you ever wondered why God, when He brought His people out of Canaan, He didn't take them directly out of Egypt? He didn't take them directly to Canaan. There's a straight line route from Egypt to Canaan. just takes a matter of a few days. He didn't take them that way. He took them on a detour. A detour. And you may not have known that, but if you did, you might have wondered why. Well, the reason is found in, in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. God explains why He did that. Moses said, it's because God, knowing that the people might be afraid of war, fear war, and, and want to go back to Egypt. So He took them on this detour in order that He might prepare them for battle. Now, I think this happens, but I'm not, I don't have any proof text for it. I just, from experience, I, it seems to me that when a person first becomes a Christian, that God just kind of puts a hedge about him. And, and it's easy for him for a while. And he's thinking to himself, man, this is easy. I wish I'd have been a Christian all along. But there comes a point in his life when all hell breaks out. And he, he, he encounters opposition. And, and, and barriers and temptations, he's assaulted on every side. I, I think that happens. And, and I think that's why we have such a struggle in prayer, is because there are times when, when Satan begins to assault us. And so when we have this struggle in prayer, we give up praying. When we have this struggle in, in God's Word, we give it up. For I want you to know, listen to me carefully, I want you to know that if you desire the life of victory. That life will not go unopposed. If you decide, young people, that you're going to live for God and that you're no longer going to live a subnormal Christian life that gives in and caves in to every pressure, if, you're, if you've decided that's no longer going to be your kind of life, let me warn you that that life will not go unopposed. And the struggles that come as the result of it are enormous and frightening. It's amazing to me that, that when God led His people to Jericho, they didn't have to fire a shot. It was the most walled, fortified city in Canaan. They didn't have to fire a shot, didn't have to turn a hand, didn't have to do a thing. Walls came down, all they had to do was shout. But after that, listen to me, after that, they had to fight tooth and toenail for every inch of land they got. And I think that God was telling them in the beginning, I want you to know that I am able to meet every need you have, but in order to possess your possession, it's going to require a struggle. If you'll indulge me one more football story. See, the only time I get to tell them is something like this. That very year, 
at Iowa Park won the state championship. We played for the state championship at the University of Texas at Arlington Stadium, the Klein Bulldogs, town down in Houston. And there were several of those kids, guys, that were in my church at that time. One of them was named Steve Watson. He was a tremendous, he was a linebacker, a fullback. He played for Baylor. He's now a neurosurgeon in Dallas, a tremendous young man. And, 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 in that, and, that, and at that stadium, they, had, they dressed underneath the stadium, much like our stadium. And they were down underneath, preparing, getting ready for the game. And the, and the fans were in the sta- on, the, on the, the bleachers, metal bleachers. I can remember it. Everybody got to, as the game, as the time for the kickoff began, and the players were back in the dressing room, everybody got to stomping on those metal bleachers. You know, and everybody was, those guys were the most fanatical fans I've ever seen anyway. I asked Steve Watson what it was like in that dressing room before that game, immediately before the game. He said, Gerald, you won't believe this, but most of us were crying. He said, we, we were sobbing. He said, the excitement was so great, he said, that we were sitting in there crying. And he said this, Never will forget this. He said, we had absolutely no doubt, no doubt that we were state champions and we couldn't get wait to get out there and prove it. As I look out over this audience this morning, I have no doubt, no doubt that every believer who sits in this pew ought to be on the edge of his seat with excitement. I have no doubt that we are victorious. All we need to do is go out and prove it. For the life of victory is the goal of the Christian life. It is the gift to the Christian but it must be gained by the courageous. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that all that's necessary for life and victory we have already in Jesus. And I pray for a hunger and a passion and a desire to appropriate, possess the possession that the school will be transformed, that the community will be changed, that the world will know that there is a difference in the people of God. My prayer in Jesus' name. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation here. Now listen carefully. An invitation to publicly come this morning, to publicly Declare your faith in Jesus Christ. Now there might be some who have never trusted Jesus to take away your sin, to save you. I'm not talking about church membership. We're not asking anyone to join the church first. But to consider the need to be saved. And I'm asking this morning... 
to come up out of this balcony and out of this choir and out of this audience if you know this morning, if you know down in your heart of hearts that you have never, never trusted Jesus and have never experienced His salvation. And if you died, you'd not go to heaven. I want you to come in a moment. I want you to come this morning to join this church if God has led you to join this church. You need to be a part of a fellowship that worships together. I want this morning those of us who are willing to come to say, I'm tired of the subnormal. I want for my life the life of victory. I make a commitment to that. And I'm going to ask Don and, and uh, Gibb to stand here with, with Lee and with me so that we can receive you who come. And I'm going to ask you young people and adults to make this commitment of your life to Jesus Christ to say, I'm coming this morning to say that I'm going to claim the victorious life. I'm going to prove that I have victory. I'm going out to live in victory. And I want to come this morning to make that commitment. I'm going to ask you to do that. It'll take a little courage. And so there are three invitations and, and surely God would speak to your heart and you'd come. So while we stand, as those come who help me, will help me counsel, we invite you to come as we sing. You come. <laughs>